Today's Bible reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 20, which can be found on page 271 of your Bibles. That's 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 20, on page 271. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerohoam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other, and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, This man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery, And remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, (coughs) go in peace. And may the Lord God and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. 
So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. This is the word of the Lord. And as Woody mentioned, this is the start of a new series running up to Easter. And to begin this series, I want to start with a bit of uh, imagination, if that's okay. I want you to, you can close your eyes if you want, or if not, um, you know, if you're too embarrassed, keep them open. Uh, But I want you to imagine a world where people are deeply divided, where people are quick to blame and argue. I want you to imagine a world where people look after number one, where their first thought is, what makes me happy? A world where leaders serve themselves. Instead of helping the population they're elected to look after, they use their position for their own power gains. A world where the established church is thought as pretty irrelevant to most people. And one where you wonder, even if its leaders believe in the historic faith, A world where people have forgotten God. Instead, they're focused on their own comfort, their own lives, their own issues. Well, hopefully you can see by now that I'm describing the world of Israel in 1050 BC. Because that's where we find ourselves at the beginning of 1 Samuel. Uh, In terms of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel comes at the end of Judges. And the one thing we're told in Judges, there's this refrain going through Judges, that in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. But by the end of 1 and 2 Samuel, that picture has completely changed. At the end of 1 and 2 Samuel, there is now a new king who loves the Lord, a new people that is prosperous, And a new people, fundamentally, who know their God. And 1 and 2 Samuel shows us how we get there. How we get from the world of, I'll do what I see is fit, in my own eyes, to the world where the people love the Lord and have a king who loves the Lord. And hopefully, as we look at the world of 1 Samuel, uh, we're going to take heart from it. Because as we, as I hinted at in our introduction, the world of 1 Samuel isn't too different from the world we find around us today. And as we look at this world and see how God worked in this time, I hope it encourages us that that same God is at work in our world, in our time. And in chapters 1 to 3, we see how God begins that work. And he starts in a very surprising place. He starts with an unknown woman called Hannah. Uh, Not much is said about Hannah, uh, except one aspect of her life, which is her misery and suffering. We read in 1 verse 5 that the Lord had closed her womb. Hannah had... Hopes of children for her own, but many, despite many tries, she never falls pregnant. And her husband takes a second wife, Penina, presumably to address the issue of Hannah's childlessness. And Penina, she has lots of children. 
But rather than her showing sympathy at Hannah's plight, she irritates her, we're told in 1 verse 6. She provokes her. You can imagine her, can't you, just saying things like, oh, would you believe it, I'm pregnant again. Oh, sorry, I forgot, that's really insensitive. Or saying, look, do you know, I've got so many children, sometimes I forget all their names. And then going, oh, that must be hard for you to hear. And so we're told that Hannah, in 1 verse 7, is so upset, she cannot eat. She could only weep. I realize that there will be Hannahs in our own church. People who know her pain all too personally. Perhaps we would have loved children of our own, but things have just not gone our way. Or perhaps we've lost children, or we would have loved a family, but the Lord has called us to a single life. And if you feel that pain, you've probably experienced those moments, Hannah experiences those announcements of a friend's pregnancy, and everyone's happy, and it just brings home the reality of your situation. Or a careless word by someone. Are you not having kids yet? Have you not thought about that? And maybe we find ourselves, like Hannah at some stages, only able to weep. What if that's us? I hope it's of some comfort to see that the Lord cares about her pain enough to put it in this book of 1 Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel is a grand book. It's a book of wars and kings and battles and triumphs. But the Lord doesn't start there, does he? He starts with this one woman's suffering. Because he wants us to see that her pain is genuine and he cares. But Hannah does one thing in her sorrow. She doesn't notice, she doesn't just stay with her sorrow She goes somewhere with it. Look at 1 verse 10. Uh, We read there that in the bitterness of her soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she prays this prayer in verse 11. Um, It's a little bit confusing. Why are you talking about razors and heads and that sort of thing? But razors, um, that was a a sign of um, being a Nazarite. Um, You can ask me about this later. But Nazarites were set apart for the Lord's service. And, And to mark them out, they didn't shave their hair. So if you think of Samson, he was a Nazarite. And she's saying, look, if you give me a child, Lord, I'll set him apart for you. See, notice what Hannah is doing. She's praying. I love the way 1 verse 15 puts it. She's pouring out her soul. And notice the contrast. In 1 verse 8, we're told that she weeps and does not eat. And then in 1 verse 18, we're told she's eating something and her face was no longer downcast. And notice crucially, that's not because the Lord's answered her prayer at this point, but because she's come to him and she's poured out her soul. There's often two traps I think we can fall into when we're suffering like Hannah Uh, One is perhaps a a particularly English problem is to say, well, it doesn't matter. I'll stiffen up the lip. To say things like, well, a lot of people suffer in the world. Why am I worried about this? But the narrative doesn't do that, does it? It, it? It shows Hannah's plight. And we're meant to feel the sympathy of her situation. The second trap, though, 
is to think we're alone in our suffering. To think that the Lord doesn't see, he's too big to listen. But Hannah has no sense of that. She pours pours out her soul, knowing that the Lord may listen. And perhaps some of us here this morning just need to be reminded of that, that the Lord cares about our plight. And we're not meant to bear it alone. But it's not just that Hannah prays. God goes on to answer her prayer. Uh, 1 verse 19, we read that the Lord remembered Hannah. Uh, That's not that he forgot, but, but remembering in the Old Testament is to bring to mind and he gives her a son, a son named Samuel, which comes from the Hebrew Sha'al, which means to ask. She says she calls him Samuel because she asked the Lord for him. See, Hannah finally has an answer to her misery. The Lord relieves it. The Lord gives her a child. Now, Hopefully we are familiar enough with Bible handling to know that if, um, if we were to extrapolate out of this and say that, look, this happened to Hannah, therefore it's going to happen today, well, that would be not only insensitive, but bad Bible handling. Because Hannah is not put here to say, if you pray like her, then God will answer her prayers, uh, your prayers like hers. God may answer our prayers with a yes, but also with a no or a not yet. See, Hannah, I think more um, precisely, is included in this narrative, not to say, look, follow her and this will happen, but because her story is a picture of a far bigger story of what God is doing with the whole nation. See, the birth of Samuel isn't just a sign of God's grace to one woman, but a sign of God's grace to God's people. And we see this, I think, over the page in chapter 2. Chapter 2, we get this long prayer of Hannah of thanksgiving for Samuel. But but it's not really about that. Uh, The prayer starts that way. Uh, 2 verse 1, she says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted up. Uh, The horn was an ancient symbol for strength. Um, And for women in the ancient world childbearing was the sign of strength and Hannah said look my my horn is now lifted high my rival has got no reason to irritate me to provoke me it's been lifted up but notice where this prayer ends Um, look at the uh, end of verse 10 she says he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed See, her horn points to the horn of the king. Now, at this point, there's no king, uh, but she's looking forward to the point in which God will send a king and lift him up. And in the middle, she speaks about God's action. Uh, Look at 2 verse 6. She says, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exhorts. He raises the poor from the dust And lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes. And has them inherit a throne of honor. See the Lord is about to work she's saying. See her experience of the Lord's grace in her life. 
is a big sign of what God is going to do to the whole nation. See, her prayer here is like a hinge of this little story of this one person uh, uh, pointing to this big story of what God is doing with the picture, uh, uh, with the people. See, so as you look in the chapters that follow, you, you realize that Hannah's fruitlessness is a picture of the fruitlessness of the nation. See, look at how things are described in 3 verse 1 over the page. Uh, halfway through 3 verse 1, we read, In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. It doesn't mean that the Lord hadn't spoken. He had. But he means his word hasn't been heard. The people are in the dark. And back over the page in chapter 2, we see uh, the big reason why. Because in 2 verse 12, sorry for all the page flicking, you're doing very well. I love hearing the rustling. Um, nothing more encouraging to a preacher than a bit of rustling. Um, 2 verse 12, we, we meet Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas, And we're told that they were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. See, these two priests, they served in the tabernacle, which was the place where people would come to meet with God. But instead of meeting with God, they met the corruption of these wicked men. In 2 verse 13, we read that they would steal the choice meat for themselves. The equivalent of taking a cut from the collection plate. And in 2 verse 15, they would demand the fat from the sacrifices. And the fat... uh, was used to kind of make food taste good, I guess, for their steak dinner. They, they wanted the fat. But everyone knew that that invalidated the sacrifice. The fat was the bit that burnt up and symbolically went up to God. And it's classic, isn't it, with abusive leaders. 2 verse 16 tells us that if people didn't hand it over, they would take it by force. And the picture gets even more bleak in 2 verse 22. The women in the temple... Well, they would sleep with them. The one place you think women would be safe has become a hunting ground for these priest perversions. Now, in a room this size, there will be some of us who have known a Hophni and a Phineas. There will be spiritual leaders we have trusted, people we've respected, only to find out that they are really abusive. And if that is you this morning, can I just say that that should never happen? It's not your fault. And it should never be tolerated in the church of God. I personally and the other leaders, Woody, Caroline, are very happy to talk to you if you're ready. But if, even if you're not, I hope 2 verse 17 is some encouragement because there we read, this sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. See, the Lord sees. The Lord is not indifferent to their abuse of power. He doesn't ignore it because they happen to have this title of priest. He sees their sin and it is very great in his eyes. See, Hannah's fruitlessness is a picture of where the people find themselves. They're in the dark in terms of God's word. Their spiritual leaders have let them down. And not only that, they're abusing their power. But just as Hannah's fruitlessness is a picture of the fruitlessness of the nation, 
Well, so is God's answer to Hannah's prayer a picture of how he's going to answer the suffering of the people. I've been thinking, is there a kind of tool for the series, something we can use to kind of help us understand 1 and 2 Samuel? Um, Here's my very creative effort, two arrows, okay? Um, Woody, if you think this is useful, please come back to it. Um, It took me days to come up with this. Um, These two arrows, they they point in different directions, pretty obvious. Um, But they're really, I want, as we go through 1 Samuel, we need to keep this in mind because what we're going to see is what we see in 2 verse 6, that the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. And so throughout 1 Samuel, the people who are on the top, who look like they're winning, well, the Lord will work to bring them down. And the people on the bottom who look like they're losing, well, the Lord will bring them up. Hannah, suffering, didn't have uh, any children, the Lord raised up. And we see that in Hophni and Phinehas as well. See, because God sends a prophet in 2 verse 27, and this prophet calls time on their priesthood. Their family is no longer to serve as priests. And in 2 verse 34, we're told that they will both die on the same day. See, God sees them. He doesn't ignore their sin forever. He sees, he judges. He brings them down. But at the same time, throughout this narrative, we see that other arrow. Because throughout this, God lifts up Samuel. So in 2 verse 17, we read the sin of the young men was very great. But in 2 verse 18, we read, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. A linen ephod was a priestly gown. Uh, and it's the way the narrator's, tell it, uh, the, the narrator's telling us that as they fail in their priestly duty, well, God is raising one up to take their place. And in 2 verse 25, um, at the end there, we see, uh, his sons did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it is the Lord's will to put them to death. But then we see in verse 26, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. And in chapter 3, we see Eli, very old, uh, asleep in his home, blind, which uh, is being used as a kind of metaphor for his own spiritual failure. And yet, God calls Samuel in the temple and speaks to him. So at the beginning of this story, think back to the arrows, we've got Hophni and Phinehas on top. But at the end of the story, They're awaiting their own death. And then at the beginning of the story, we've got this boy Samuel who grows progressively through it. So that by the end of it, in 3 verse 19, we read that the boy Samuel grew up and God let none of his words fall to the ground. And then we read in 4 verse 1, Samuel's word came to all Israel. It's a very dramatic picture of what the Lord does. He lifts up the humble. He brings down the proud. And for most of the time, Hophni and Phinehas, I guess they thought the Lord didn't see, the Lord didn't care. Uh, They got away with it for so long, they're not going to be found out. And yet, the Lord brought his justice. And I guess for people like Hannah, she thought, the Lord would never see me. The Lord would never hear my suffering. But he lifts her up. 
See, what he does with Hannah is a picture of what he does with the nation. And as we come to a close, it is also a picture of what he does for us through Jesus. If you were with us in December, you may recognize the words of Hannah's prayer because they sound very similar to Mary's prayer, or if um, if you're uh, familiar with kind of church language, Magnificat, Mary's Magnificat. Um, I've put it on the uh, sheets there, but um, look at, um, I wonder if, Joe, if we got that slide um, that I told you not to put up. Uh, I wonder if we could put that up. But yeah, if we look at verse 50, she says very similarly to Hannah, he has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. See, like Hannah, Mary is a woman of no particular status. Like Hannah, Mary trusts the Lord at his word. And like Hannah, the Lord gives Mary a son. And like Mary, this son grows up to bring God's word to a people who desperately need to hear it. But there are also differences because unlike Samuel, this son deserved to be lifted up, deserved to be exalted, deserved to be worshipped. But instead, he trod a path of suffering, a path of suffering like Hannah, crying out like Hannah on the cross, pouring out his soul. And it was because of the pride of people that he trod that path. He deserved to be lifted up. He deserved to be exalted. But the Lord brought him down to pay for our sin and to defeat our enemy of death. But we know, don't we, three days later, thinking of the arrows again, the Lord exalted him. He lifted him up. Not just for his sake, but to lift up us and all who trust in him as well. See, Hannah's prayer in 2 verse 6, I I don't know what was going through her head, but I guess she's speaking in a kind of exaggerated way, not a very literal way. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. I don't know what she was thinking, but, but... But as we look at that through the lens of Jesus and what he's achieved, that is a reality. Yes, the Lord brings death. And yes, we know that all too sadly, uh, given recent events. But through Jesus, he makes alive. Yes, the Lord brings us down to the grave. But yes, through Jesus, he raises up. See, God exalts Hannah in her misery. Uh, God exalts Samuel in answer to the nation's misery. And God has exalted Jesus in answer to our misery. How will we feel this morning? I, I guess there will be lots of us coming to church this morning feeling our sin all too deeply. Perhaps we've got an event in life that is causing us dread and we just don't want to face it. But let's remember that Jesus has been brought low and exalted so that you will never have to be. You will never be brought low because of your sin, because he already has. You will never be brought low in death because he has already defeated it for you. 
as we close, I know I said that about 10 minutes ago, but as we close, just three things um, maybe to think about in the break. What do we do off the back of this? Well, first of all, come to the Lord with your suffering. Um, Hannah's example, I said, is unique, but it is an example of someone trusting the Lord, even uh, when she doesn't know the outcome. As we grieve, as we suffer, the Lord invites us to pour out our souls to him. Second thing, remember, the Lord brings down. We're going to see this throughout 1 Samuel. That It's the proud, it's the people who look victorious that the Lord brings down. And it's a reminder for me that pride is deadly. That I should not give up fighting it in my life. And thirdly, remember the Lord lifts up. It looked bleak for Hannah. It looked bleak for the nation. And perhaps as we look around our world today, it it might feel bleak to us. But we have a God who lifts up the humble, who brings life from death. Whatever we face, the Lord is far bigger. The challenges of our nation, the challenges of our church, the challenges in our own life. Well, the God that we have has shown in the resurrection of Jesus that he lifts up the humble. Let's pray. We pray, our Father, that you would help us to know that you bring death and make alive, that you bring down to the grave and raise up, so that we, like Hannah, can pour out our souls to you with confidence, knowing that the Lord Jesus has done everything necessary to bring us up. For we ask this in his name. Amen.